0: This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing,
1: timely, and practical for listeners.
2: Welcome to the Thacker Slate podcast. And we are uh, pleased to have with us today uh, Randy Flood, who is with uh, Fountain Hill and, uh, in my opinion, an expert in reunification uh, therapy counseling. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Allison's here with me as well as uh, Randy. And, Randy, good morning. Good Thanks morning. for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, why don't you give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and how you have um, sort of made yourself an expert in this reunification area?
0: Well, reunification is fairly fairly new service. I've been historically a custody and parenting time evaluator, um, and I've been doing that since 1992. And, and so along with um, custody and parenting time evaluations, I've done also parent coordination And then um, also provided counseling for people who are involved in um, custody disputes. And I also specialize in working um, with domestic violence and working with offering specialized services for men who are having um, struggles and issues with divorce or um, managing themselves within that setting.
2: Well, why don't you give us a little bit of insight of uh, what really is uh, reunification? Is it reunification counseling? Is it a reunification process? I mean what are we trying to reunify and and what does that all mean?
0: When... Reunification counseling, as it's called, is ordered. Usually there's a reject and refuse dynamic that's happening in parent-child contact problems. So the children are, for legitimate reasons, not wanting to be around a parent who has been proven to be ineffective, incompetent, abusive, neglectful, having a significant substance abuse problem, mental health issue, where the children have, in their experience of that incompetency, have pulled away from that parent, and the courts have become aware of that. Um, So that's one situation where children are rejecting and refusing. The other side of that is when there's an alienation dynamic, and that's when a a child, for invalid reasons, unfounded reasons, are rejecting a good enough parent where there has been a base rate relationship prior to the divorce, where the children have a reasonable relationship with a father or mother. And then in the stress of the divorce, the child is rejecting a parent.
1: And Randy, how important is the court order and what is what is the contents that you like to see in the court order for reunification?
0: Well, in reunification counseling is ordered, it's important that um, everybody is given directives as to what to expect and, and the authority that the reunification counselor has. And uh, And particularly what's important is that the judicial oversight is is a part of that order so that as we proceed in the reunification, it is fairly common that you're going to get resistance from a parent or the children and not proceeding with the next steps of the reunification process. Perhaps that's to have the children spend time with a parent they've been rejected in my office in a safe setting, and then the parent refuses to bring the child to to that appointment, and then we're at an impasse. And then sometimes we have to go back um, before the, the judge, and the judge has got to order them to complete.
2: Yeah, which is really an accountability issue, right? I mean, we need right. we need the the court to hold uh, the parties accountable for participation in the process. And so typically, how does the process, it starts with a court order for you to do a reunification counseling, then you know, tell, tell the people out there, what does that mean? What do you do next? Right. How does the process start, right. and what's the protocol?
0: Usually, a, a good reunification um, referral is um, before I it, it comes to me. There's been some type of an evaluation process that has determined what is going on. So, do we is it an alienation case or is it a estrangement case? So, there's been a diagnostic kind of clarification about what are the dynamics. So, I know as a as a reunification therapist what I'm working with, and so that is really really important to have that diagnostic prior to it. And then once I get excuse me, the reunification case, then I usually meet with the parties individually. We don't like throw children and parents together. Right. We have this real gentle process of building rapport, me meeting with the each parent, meeting with the children, and taking the time that we need to really figure out the dynamics and building that kind of safety. Um, and then very much in a stepwise incremental process, kind of stepping through, um, um, acclimating to the parent, in my office and then perhaps moving to, you know, activities outside the office and graduated steps in the process to a, Yeah. To and a I, and I would
2: imagine by the time it gets to you, it's not an easy case, right? You know, because right. we've gone through the system, it's now being turned over to the professionals to try to re- reunite a child uh, that the child perceives in his or her eyes is a is a uh, an unfavored parent that they don't want to spend any time with, and in trying to uh, put that all together, I mean, what are some of the complications that you see in some of these cases with kids who just don't even want to participate in the process? I mean, what do we do? I mean, how ha- how do you change their psyche to turn it back around to say, okay, now I do want to spend time with this parent because generally what the sabotaging parent has been telling me for all these years isn't true right right because we see that
0: right that's in an alienation case <clears throat> and again it's not that they're always clean sometimes there can be hybrid cases but but basically you're referring Connie to to an alienation case and those the complications there are when how long have the children been marinating in the alienation? Uh, Meaning that if one of the best things for courts to do is to to act quickly in these cases, because the longer a child is in a situation where their mind's being poisoned or the well is being poisoned toward the other parent, the more difficult it is to reunify um, the families. And so it's really important for the courts to be really expeditious in getting these cases to us before it goes on too long.
1: What happens in the event of failure? I mean, if reunification doesn't work, what can they do after that?
0: Well, sometimes, depending again on on the case and the dynamics of the case, the judge involved. There's 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 extreme situations that sometimes that they realize that there's an alienation is so significant and an alienator is almost to the point of um, not you can't rehabilitate the parent, you, you try to confront their alienation tactics and you try to get them to coach the children positively and they just won't do it, that you have some judges that will eventually um, move to switch to custody in those kind of cases if it's, again, deemed safe for the children to do that. But usually they're trying to work with trying to reunify the family and having the kids have access to both parents. That's the ultimate goal.
1: And how long does the process go on? I mean, at what point do you make that evaluation of where do we go from here?
0: These cases can have quite a, quite a shelf life. I've worked cases, you know, up to you know, year and a half to two years. Um, but you know, if you get them early in the process, I think I've had cases where we've had successful reunification within you know three to six months.
1: And what's the hourly rate? And and I guess I'd want you to comment too on how do we divide that between the parents? I mean, do you want to saddle one parent with that bill, or is it more conducive to have them both split the bill?
0: It, again, usually is in the court order, Um, depending, I've seen it where the, um, the courts have made one parent pay for it, and again, it's based on sometimes culpability,
2: yeah, and sometimes um, income, right? You know, if one parent makes a whole lot more than the other and they can afford it. So right. you see that one parent pay it until you start to see the other parent being the more of the causation of the problem. And then that sometimes the judicial system will it. swing the cost right. the other way, right? Yeah. Correct. So right.
0: economics of it, culpability are some of the factors that go into how the... Fee gets split up, but it's a specialty service, and so it's it's paid it's charged out. You know in the in the two hundreds. Uh, yeah, it's per not hour. cheap, right? Because no, no. you're
2: trying to fix a problem <clears throat> right. that's the parties have created, and here we're you know trying to unring the bell, which one parent has um, probably created or the other, and uh, trying to reunify that. And by the time they get to you, it's it's uh, it's a damaged case, right? Right,
0: right. Yeah. And the other thing you were talking about complications. The other in alienation, then we can get maybe to estrangement cases. But another complication is when a Tell par- us what estrangement <clears throat> means.
2: Let's back up and tell the public
0: what that means so that they know.
2: Estrangement is
0: when you have legitimate abuse and neglect um, of a parent, and then the children are, are legitimately- concerned about their safety and their attachment with the parent, and so they're pulling away from the parent and rejecting them for for legitimate reasons. Yeah, so a
2: parent who treats them poorly or abuses them or whatever, they, they, for legitimate reasons,
0: don't like the parent. So, if you have a, a child rejecting a parent for uh, or illegitimate reasons, then one of the complications is the is the defensiveness and the hurt that a rejected parent experiences, and then their reactivity to that becomes problematic. Right. And so, a lot of times, if you're working with a rejected parent, it's they require a lot of support, coaching, counseling. Which some of that I, I have done in the background with rejected parents because. I don't think we can imagine, those of us who have children um, can maybe imagine what it's like to have this flesh and blood that you've loved and you've had this incredible attachment with, and all of a sudden, this kid's coming to you and says, I hate you, and I want nothing to do with you, and I don't want to be with you. I want right. you to be, I wish you were dead. Yep. Um, every your my, your my My grandparents are terrible. My uncles, my aunts, everybody associated with you is terrible. Right. And this is devastating to a parent. And in that hurt and pain, they sometimes get reactive and then they come across to the professionals involved as an angry parent and they play into the hand of the alienating parent. And they come across as being this really angry, agitated person. So these people need a lot of support and that can be a complication, a rejected parent being hurt and defended.
2: Right, so that might be something that we do in our cases. You might be... Um, the role of the reunification therapist, or we right. may be uh, reaching out to you or to Ben or Amy or somebody else in your group to be sort of the coach for the alienated parent to uh, respond appropriately. And because they you do have all these emotions going right. on in the process, and they have these hurt feelings, and they're they're damaged in and right. of themselves, right? And so we're trying to hook that whole family back together. What do you do with the the favored parent who really doesn't? want to have the
0: reunification. I mean, how do we deal with that? Well, that's that's the the complication of an alienation case is when you have a parent who will not relinquish their campaign of alienation. And they um, oftentimes will, they can have minimally a a deep wound from the divorce that they're not able to to heal from, and they're acting out um, that pain and anger. Um, other times, it can be complicated with a, with a personality disorder. You can have a parent who's borderline or narcissistic. And a narcissistic parent loves to have that, you know, being in the limelight and being the favored parent who won, who's special, who's great, who's wonderful. And so they'll, they'll nourish that from the children and want to continue to be in that favored state. And so they have a hard time encouraging the children to um, get reacquainted with the rejected parent.
2: Um, do you do any psych testing in the reunification process or is that already done before it gets to you? Or what kind of data do you get when you get the case?
0: Usually an evaluation um, has been done already. And so um, I'm not doing any psych testing. I'm doing more of the counseling process. And so the cases that come to me that are estrangement, like we said, the abuse cases, some of the complications that can come from that is when you have unresolved trauma. And when you have a person who has been wounded, for example, in domestic violence, um, you have a victim who has not been able to resolve their own trauma, and then it makes it difficult for them to encourage the children to go to a a parent who perhaps has been rehabilitated, and they've gone through a a -a six-month-to-a-year program of domestic violence, They're, they're now accountable. They're, they have a good report from their therapist, and there's some evidence that things have changed for that person, but the trauma still lives in that parent, and so then it becomes difficult for them to encourage their children to take the steps to reunify, and that can be, that can be difficult.
1: Are there different levels of intensity of the reunification therapy as far as really intensive treatment? Can you kind of give some light into or shed some light on what that looks like?
0: Yeah, I think that the cases again that haven't, where the kids haven't marinated in this kind of reject and refuse dynamic, and they can more expeditiously get to us, um, those cases can respond to outpatient treatment. With you're doing like weekly sessions and maybe some traditional talk therapy and getting them involved, uh, getting reacquainted with a parent. The ones that are uh, more severe cases tend to not respond well to talk therapy. And we have to use um, more intensive services and those tend to be more experiential where we've had day-long events where we go out to like a camp-like atmosphere and use equine therapy and other kinds of... What does that
2: really mean though, experiential? What what do you mean by that?
0: Getting them out of their heads and getting them out of their narrative of kind of, that my parents are all bad, they're terrible, there's nothing good about them. And getting them into experiences with with their parent that can... Awaken that pre existing attachment that they had that was good. Right. So they're out there with the horses, they're out there doing an event, just the an activity. Equine therapy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And equine therapy is really kind of coming into light with reunification, and it's been around for years with kids who have gone through Trauma. abuse. And right. So um, talk a little
0: bit about that and the benefits of the equine therapy. Well, Tracy Thompson from our um, office is a specialist in that, and maybe sometime you could have her come in and talk more specifically. But what what I've witnessed is that um, um, being a part of that team when we've been out there for intensives is um, is that how effective it is to, again, they're not riding horses. Sometimes people think they're riding yeah, horses. Yeah, they think they're going to be, it's an equestrian
2: day. Right. Yeah, and
0: it's not. They're just working with horses to try to get them to do certain activities, like say, walk through an obstacle course and hang on to the rope. And they're doing it with their dad that they haven't, they said is a terrible person. And they're working together to try to get the horse to go through this obstacle course. Course together, and they, and there's something they're they're doing, and that can help rebuild that attachment. Those kinds of experiences in the in the corral.
1: And how how do the horses respond to this? I mean, I know that there's been some examples. I think that you have given in the past, or maybe Connie that you've given in the past with with respect to how they respond because they are that kind well, of Well, they're creature.
0: very intuitive. And again, Tracy would be able to talk. They're kind of like prey animals. And so they've been preyed upon. So they're always paying attention to what's going on around them. And so they can pick up on the emotional tension. Sure. So you get like the horses will, like one co-parent will be in the, with the horse and the horses will be very relaxed and in kind of walking around, grazing around. And then we'll bring two co-parents in the corral together and the stables together who are just super hostile toward each other and all of a sudden the horses will back up and move around and kind of stare at them.
2: That's kind of amazing that they, they can pick sense up that, on the, right? They right? pick
0: up on the tension and then yeah. you think of then you use that and say, you know, th- look at these horses. Remember what they were like when you were by yourself and now look at wh- how they are when you're together. Imagine what your kids feel like.
2: Right. And it's so hard sometimes for the judicial system to sort of understand right. the benefit of equine therapy correct. and the benefits that it really has because you're out there dealing with these animals who understand what's going on with you because they're picking it up, right? Right, correct. Yeah. So with the reunification, is there usually a, a, a team associated with it? Because some of the cases I've seen, you know, we have a therapist for mom, a therapist for dad, a therapist for the kids. I mean, how's that usually work in sort of the team approach?
0: Yeah, there's... there's um Oftentimes, reunification therapy can be so complicated and difficult that you want to work with as a team. And so we have, like, for example, Amy Van Gens and myself will often work together. And then Tracy Thompson will be working in the corral with us as an equine specialist. And sometimes the children will have their own therapist um, as well. And then we'll be um, coordinating with with the, with the therapist and working together collaboratively.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, from my perspective, I see some judges and some lawyers who say, well, I don't want to put it all in one warehouse, so to speak, you know, one building where all the therapists are together. But my experience has been that that's been really uh, beneficial. And I've often seen times where the team doesn't always agree, right? And the team challenges each other in terms of what's really going on here and trying to understand it so just because we pick fountain hill to do right. all of it doesn't mean you guys are going to uh, collaborate and just pick one methodology because i've seen it where you
0: where you don't right right we argue with each other we just are in a in a location where we can have the chance to argue with each other just because you assume that because a professional is 10 miles away in another office that you're you're not you're not going to collude with that person, or not have a group think process. Um, you're collegial. Um, this just gives us a chance to work with each other and challenge each other in 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 our meetings about what we're seeing. For example, um, a therapist working with um, say an abuser who um, was abusive to the, the children and to the co parent um, goes into some type of counseling, and the counselor says, "Well, he, he or she's making all kinds of." great steps in counseling. And then the parent coordinator can say, well, it's not showing up in parent coordination because he is still being abusive and calling her names. He might be a good student in your group, but he's not making actual changes. So that coordination with each other can be helpful in cases like that.
2: Right, so uh, what other uh, sort of words of wisdom can you give to uh, our clients who are going through the reunification process? I mean, what should they... Really make sure that they're doing to not
0: disrupt the process. Well, depending on if you're the favored parent or the rejected parent, I think that um, I think the rejected parent is the is a person who's going to have to have a lot of support, and then also. Um, be very patient with the process because a lot of times they think that it's going to be magical that as soon as we start, the kids are going to run into the therapy room and (laughs) want to jump on the laps and such, and it it doesn't work that way. So making sure they have realistic expectations about it's very incremental and sometimes arduous.
2: What is the litigation process? How does that impact people going through reunification when we've got, you know, Trying to do reunification and then parents run into the courthouse steps all the time to hold a, a parent in contempt or to file custody, you know, petitions and parenting time petitions. What impact does litigation have on the process?
0: Well, I think it's mixed. Again, I said earlier the judicial oversight can be really helpful and and cause sometimes people don't see us as having authority. And so the judge kind of stepping in can be helpful. But sometimes attorneys um, you guys can get into your litigious paradigm, and then that can be problematic for this more conciliation process of kind of moving things forward and holding e- parents accountable rather than saying, well, the kids are not going into the room with the parent because th- cause, cause of my clients not doing anything, and let's take it to court. Um, so trying to help facilitate this reunification process can be helpful if we work together as a team.
2: Yeah, so it seems to me that it's really important for us to, uh, for clients to have lawyers that understand the reunification process and then hire the therapist who've done reunification before. You just can't go out and will nilly just pick some therapist off the list and say, well, we're going to send this reunification uh, case off to them. They need to
0: have been involved in them and doing them and sort of know what they're doing. Right. Most of the time when we do reunification, we've had experiences where therapists have been involved historically with the family and have done more damage than good. And so we're in the process of trying to undo that um, because we've had therapists misunderstand why the kids are rejecting and refusing. So it's really important to be working with therapists who understand those dynamics and are trained in it. Otherwise they can unwittingly do more harm.
2: Okay, that's all really great advice and uh, we really appreciate you coming and talking about reunification therapy today and uh, it's been very insightful, so thank you.
0: Well, Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website thackerslate.com for additional information.